Hello, I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 80. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and modern science with an emphasis on what these disciplines can tell us regarding building a better life for ourselves and others. In this episode, I will be exploring the timeless question of whether or not there is a God. Now, you don't hear much about God these days in our highly secularized world, and I'm old enough to remember the famous Time magazine cover of 1966 asking the question, is God dead? It created quite a stir. We even discussed it in some of my classes at the time. But just around this same time in the 1960s, the New Age movement began to flourish and to focus more on spirit and Eastern religions that did not rely as much on traditional Western notions of God, the Father, the Creator, etc. Remember, the Beatles went to visit the Maharashi in India, and John Lennon famously said that the Beatles were more popular than God. And even today, in non-Orthodox denominations of many churches and synagogues, God is not the major focus. In most Reformed Jewish temples, to a large degree, and also many conservative Jewish denominations, the focus is on living a better life here and not on any heavenly world or person. And also, this is true in Protestant Christianity. Same, same thing can be said where the life of Jesus is held up as an example of how to be a better person. And there's not much dogma about heaven or abstract notions of God. Now, I can't really speak to Islam, but I have read that studies have shown that a majority of Muslims around the world do hold more moderate views on many issues. And of course, you have the Eastern religions, which have a totally different conception of our nature here than these main Western religions. Now, of course, a major feature of these religions over the centuries has been that there is a creator God that started the whole thing. And what I'm going to be questioning here is whether this is true, whether there was some entity that created the universe and all that's in it. And even in our scientific age, where we know so much about the beginnings and can speculate about the eventual death of the universe, the notion of a creator God still persists although it's true that it's much to a much less extent than in previous centuries. It even appears in Hegel's philosophy, although in his own terms, as we've discussed here so many times in the various episodes. So let's begin with some definitions. By the term creator God, I am referring to the notion of creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, that the universe was created of nothing by this creator God. And it is this concept that I want to discuss. I believe it's the most common general conception of God that that this God is the uncreated creator of all things. You know, when little kids ask their parents, who made all this? The easy answer is, well, God did. And of course, the next question is, well, then who created God? And that usually stumps the parents when they say something like, well, I guess God has always existed. So this is the question that I will be discussing here today. And I've touched on it several times in in the past in different episodes, particularly I'll point out episode 15 on whether the natural world was freely created, episode 39 on whether there was an actual creation event, and episode 61 on the possibility of a cyclical universe. But I'm going to bring some dramatic new perspectives on these questions here in this episode, and that's why I'm covering this topic again. And I'll be including much more current science that we'll get to than I did in these previous episodes. 
As I said, the notion of a creator God who created the universe out of nothing is central to the three main Western religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Opposing this view is that nothing can come out of nothing. This is an ancient Greek view that Parmenides held. In Greek, it's it's known as um, ex nihilo nihil fit, meaning nothing comes from nothing. So we have a dichotomy. Was the universe created or did it always exist? Which is it? Well, let's turn first to the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, to Genesis, to see what this text has to say about it. It's always a good place to start, just to check things out. Let's begin with the first two sentences of Genesis, which, by the way, they've been studied endlessly by Kabbalists over the centuries. The first sentence in Genesis 1.1 is, quote, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, end quote. Bereshith is the first word of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. It's Hebrew, and it means in the beginning or just beginning. Now, the first letter of Bereshith is the letter B, bet in Hebrew. And this means two. And this shows to the Kabbalists that the universe was created as a duality, the heavens and the earth. The, the fact that it started with B is very significant to them. And that, that suggests this duality of heavens and the earth. And as I've mentioned here often, uh, I believe the heavens and the earth correspond to mind and matter. The matter did not come from mind, and mind did not come from matter. They both exist at the same time. They're both primordial. This duality also corresponds to the Hegelian notion of being in nothing, existing equally at the beginning of his science of logic. So the heavens and earth had a beginning per Genesis, which is to say they were created by God. So you have three God the creator, the one, and then the duality of the heavens and the earth, which he created. And now the, the question is, were the heavens and earth created out of nothing, or were they created out of something? It is with the second sentence of Genesis where it gets complicated. The second sentence, Genesis 1-2, begins in the following way. Quote, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, end quote. One reading of this is that God created the heaven and the earth, and then once created by God, the earth was first formless as water is, and it was in darkness, and the Spirit of God hovered above it. Now, in this example, it's God is the one that has created the dark formless waters, and uh, it's a result of God's creation. Now, but biblical scholars differ as to just what this means. Perhaps it meant that these dark, formless waters were pre-existing, and this is what God used to create the heavens and the earth. But I believe most traditional religious people take it as the formless waters and the Spirit of God being the creation out of nothing by God. They're what God, in fact, created the first step. So you have formless matter, water, and you have mind is expressed by the Spirit of God hovering above. The Hebrew word for Spirit of God is ruach, which can refer to breath or wind or some invisible moving force. So as a result of this creation, we now have the duality of the formless waters, as I said, and the Spirit of God was there as well. And then God went on to create light, the land, and eventually Adam and Eve, and so forth. Now, interestingly, there's a second version of the creation story in Genesis that begins with Genesis 2-4. 
This is where Adam is first created from the dust of the earth. And it reads, quote, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, end quote. Bible scholars recognize this account is from a different source than Genesis 1. So we have two creation stories. In the first, Adam and Eve are created together. In the second, Eve is created later to keep Adam company. So it is in the second account that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil comes, and eventually the fall of man, so to speak, and you know the rest of the story. So to summarize, we have two takes here. The first is that the universe is the result of a creation out of nothing. The second is the universe was formed out of a pre-existing formless material in God's spirit. So the question is, what does science have to say about this? Which, which way does science point? Now, before I get into that, I want to cover one other creation event that occurs in the very beginning of John's gospel in the New Testament. Let me read it short. Probably all know it. Quote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. End quote. Now, this is different than it it places the word, mind, rationality, logos, right there at the beginning. There was not a separate God that created the word or mind or thought. This suggests that thought is pre-existing, and it is this thought or mind that made everything. And it also identifies this thought with life itself. And then it goes on a step further and says that this life is the light of men, which I take as meaning that the life of humans includes this rationality. So here we have God taken as the rational logos, which is very similar to Hegel's position, uh, that rationality logically precedes nature, the material world. It's what made everything. Now, we've covered these various biblical interpretations. As I said, let's move on to science and see what that has to say. Now, science in the beginning of the 20th century learned that the universe is not in a steady state. And something like the Big Bang occurred. This created a major change in thinking, not only in the scientific community, but among religious believers as well. Basically, early in the 20th century, evidence started to be accumulated that the universe is expanding. By that I mean that galaxies are moving away from each other. Our own sun is part of the galaxy, which we call the Milky Way galaxy. And it's interesting, the Milky Way galaxy contains some 100 billion stars. That's a lot of stars. And it's estimated there are some 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. So the number of stars in the universe, 2 trillion times 100 billion, I can't, I've lost count. But you get the idea of the enormity here. And in the early 20th century, as I said, scientists noticed that the galaxies were moving apart from each other. And this suggested that the universe is expanding. Now, as a side note, the question comes up, what's the universe expanding into? Now, if there's empty space, just theoretically, that, that extends infinitely, then galaxies can just keep moving apart because there's no end. But going back to the Big Bang, if galaxies are moving apart from each other, and this is the big idea, in an earlier time, they must have been closer. So you could extrapolate going back into the past that they were much closer. And at one time, they were melded into one, they were crunched together into one singularity. And this included time as well, since Einstein showed time and space to be linked as one space-time. So 
according to this new Big Bang Theory, time began then too, as well as everything else. And of course, religionists latched onto this and claimed it was evidence of a creation event. Their argument goes as follows. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, so therefore the universe must have a cause. And if the universe has a cause, then an uncaused creator of the universe exists, and some call this creator God. This is often called the cosmological argument, and it goes back to Plato and Aristotle, and it was later picked up by Aquinas in the 13th century. And now the theoretical Big Bang was suggesting that perhaps this was true, and interestingly, there was some reluctance among the scientists at the time of this discovery to release it to the public or support it because it seemed to support the religious viewpoint. So, did the Big Bang scientifically confirm creation out of nothingness? Well, interestingly, as more analysis was done over the decades, and this is pretty recent stuff, scientists now believe that there was a very brief period of expansion and inflation that occurred a microsecond before the actual explosion of the Big Bang. What existed before this expansion, no one knows, but they know that that expansion did exist now. So some state of the cosmos did exist before the Big Bang. Some call it quantum fluctuations, but it is unknown. It's important to realize we don't know what it is. It's not that nothing exists. We just, something exists that we don't know what it is. Now, this shows that the universe might not have had a miraculous beginning, that it was not created out of nothing. And this is what I contend, based on the science and all that we've covered here. Now, there's another side to this cosmology, which is you look out to the future, what's going to happen to the end of it all? Now, there's general consensus that the universe will keep expanding and eventually burn itself out. There will be a death of the heat, so to speak. It will be a big chill, <laughs> if you will. And we know that all stars have a life cycle, including our own sun. Eventually, the fuel of the sun, the hydrogen, will run out. The sun will run out of gas, if you will. Now, it is estimated that the original Big Bang occurred some 13.8 billion years ago. And our sun came into being, it ignited about 4.6 billion years ago from spinning clouds of gas and dust. And it's estimated it'll keep on shining for about another 5 billion years or so. So our sun is actually in middle age. And stars go through a heating up process. And some 1 to 2 billion years from now, the sun will be so hot that it will boil away the oceans and any life here will be wiped out. Now, it's estimated that life here on Earth is 3.7 billion years old. So that means that if life here on this planet will be unsustainable in 1 to 2 billion years, it means we're currently about 65 to maybe even 90% done with life sustainability on Earth. So life here is in old age. That's an interesting concept. Once the hydrogen runs out on the sun, the sun will swell. It'll swallow up Mercury, the innermost planet, then Venus. Then it will swallow up Earth and maybe even more planets, it will become what's called a red giant, and it'll then begin to shrink and become a white dwarf. And scientists know this by seeing the, the death of other stars. And then the white dwarf will fade back further, and it'll become a black dwarf and won't give off any heat. And this is the life pattern of all stars. Now, stars do continue to be born in the universe, but this has been slowing down for some time. It's estimated that the universe has 97% of the stars that it ever will have. And the galaxies themselves will go through death as well as the stars that make them up die. 
Now, it's estimated that in 100 trillion years or so, all star formation will have ended. And so they will all eventually die out within 10 or so billion years from that point. And the universe will be put in its grave, so to speak. So what does this mean for us? Well, obviously, we living today don't have to worry about it. But somewhere down the line, people, our ancestors, will have to worry about it and deal with it. So let's think about it. What are the options? Well, let me bring up a point I discussed before. This is the notion of a cyclical universe, which we covered, as I mentioned, in episode 61. And there's a very interesting theory proposed by physicist Roger Penrose, which is called the Conformal Cyclical Cosmology, or CCC for short. He detailed this in his 2010 book, Cycles of Time, An Extraordinary New View of the Universe. And it's basically this, that after the death of the universe, the elementary particles themselves eventually disappear, and there will essentially be a quantum state of neither time nor space that can be said to exist, just this quantum fluctuation. And it is just this quantum state that may have produced the Big Bang in the past, in our past. So the universe may in fact be cyclical, and then it goes from Big Bang to death, and then a new Big Bang. And what's interesting is that some information may survive this death, may get passed on to the next generation of the universe. And this could explain where the laws of the universe come from. It's a very big question which science cannot yet answer. Why these laws? This theory may provide the answer that they, that the laws, in fact, evolved over these different cycles to better support life and, and, uh, and, and, and progress in the universe. Now, the cyclical concept could also explain the fine-tuning that we see in the universe that supports the formation of life, as I just mentioned. Each round may improve things a bit. For example, there may have been previous rounds that only evolved up to the standpoint of the animals. And before that, there may have been um, times when there wasn't even life in the universe, and, and it finally evolved to support rudimentary forms of life, and so on. Now, this brings us to an important question. What is driving this evolutionary process? Is there a goal here? And so, who, who set the goal? Well, this is a difficult question, but I do not believe that there is a puppet master behind the curtain calling the shots. I do believe that evolution, becoming, improvement is fundamental, and life itself and all rational creatures are an improvement. This is what we are here to do. And improvement includes greater freedom, greater control, greater happiness itself, greater contentment. This is all betterment. This is all growth. And if this cyclical theory is correct, the emergence of life in the universe may be more of a resurrection than some random, spontaneous, one-off occurrence. So how did this whole process start, or did it start? Well, one way to look at it is this, that there's always been an evolution of becoming, even in very primitive forms. And that's because there's always been an interplay between being and nothing, and there always will be. Hegel says this at the beginning of his Science of Logic, that everything contains both being and nothing, and is becoming that sublates the two. It's what drives the process. The becoming is not static. It's always growing, always increasing, sometimes slowly, but it is growing and increasing. And it must do so to stay one step ahead of nothing, of oblivion. Growth Evolution becoming is the most fundamental thing in the universe. And it may be occurring over a cyclical growth. In other words, what we're describing, it may grow and then die out and then be reborn again to grow even stronger. 
It's just like when winter comes and the trees go dormant, only to come to life again in the spring and grow some more. So the big chill of the death of heat in the, in the universe corresponds to this dormant period we see in nature. And there may even be cycles of cycles in that life and mind grow to some superhuman point, maybe even merge round after round, and then the process starts all over again to build something even better that we can't even imagine at this point. Now, there's also another narrative that's possible within this current round or possibly one in the future, and that's that humans figure out a way to beat the death of the sun, perhaps migrate to a newer, younger solar system. And this, however, may prolong things for a few billion years, but the next step is to reverse the eventual death of heat, to reverse the big chiller, to stop it so the universe can sustain itself without repeating around and that evolution can continue. I realize this is all pure speculation, and I've taken this much further than Penrose has with his CCC theory. But I base it on what science knows today, and and I think it, it makes some sense. Now, you may ask, why couldn't this round just be a one and done? It was, the universe was came into being, and it's going to go away. Well, first of all, we know that something preceded the Big Bang. It's unknown, but something did precede it. And we do see cyclical patterns and rotations everywhere we look in the universe. And the fact that we have life and minds to comprehend all this suggests that evolution supports us the way we are, that we are moving in the right direction. And the cyclical evolving universe, while speculative, makes tremendous sense to me. So to answer the question we started with, I do not believe there is a creator God that created the universe out of nothing. I believe it is a continual process that may include the birth and death of the universe in cycles of evolution. Well, that brings us to a close for this episode. Thank you once again for listening, for staying with me here. I know we've covered a lot of very heavy, abstract stuff here. I know sometimes we go very abstract, other times we make the episodes more practical. And I do hope you benefited a bit from this foray into cosmology. And Please note that I do maintain a Facebook page for the podcast. It's at Cunning of Geist on Facebook. Please check that out. Like the page, follow the page. I do post there almost daily in between episodes. We get in good, good discussions. I do try to respond to all comments. So check that out. Like it, follow it. Don't forget to tell your like-minded friends about the podcast. Help spread the word. And feel free to share any post of mine, these episodes, on your own social media accounts. So to wrap things up, thanks again for your support and encouragement. And let me close by saying, I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.